Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Our guest today is 34 Strong's co-founder and COO, Darren Burasami. As the co-founder of 34 Strong, TEDx speaker, and someone who's obsessed with seeking personal greatness through connection with nature, Darren is uniquely positioned to help those in corporate America and individuals reach the potential they desire. Darren works hard on his own personal development through his hobbies, passions, and personal life. As a father, husband, avid bassist, and black belt, he believes downtime is just as important as work time. And amazingly, this is actually the very first in-person live podcast interview I've done. And Darren and I are sitting in Barbados doing this interview. So Darren, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Thank you so much, Cameron. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. So you and I uh, got to know each other through the COO Alliance. And when I said I was coming to Barbados back about six months ago, um, we decided to get together and, and got together for dinner, met each other's, your, met your wife and you met my fiance and um, got to learn a little bit more about you. But tell me a little bit more about, first off, what 34 Strong is and how you got involved in that. And then I'm going to kind of go back into your career a little bit. And we'll go from there. Yeah, so 34 Strong, what we do is we focus on creating great places to work just across the United States predominantly. Um, We work through creating strengths-based organizations. For those of you that are familiar with the Clifton StrengthsFinder assessment, that's one of the tools that we use as a starting point, but we get into creating organizations that focus on what's right with people, strengths-based focused And then also how to create cultures of engagement where employees are actually engaged in what they're doing and how to actually sustain that for the the long term. So the other question that you asked was about my journey into 34 Strong. Well, I think the fascinating part about that, Cameron, is my journey was born from being actively disengaged in work. Like Mm. I was in a position where I felt the pain of being an employee that had checked out. Um, it was fascinating. In, in right, right around the time my daughter was born, my daughter was born in 2012, and that December, uh, my wife, my daughter, and I took our first family trip together, just the three of us. My daughter was about four months old, and we went to the Big Island of Hawaii. And one morning, she was laying in my lap after we took a walk, and I, I just took a sip of coffee. And then she laughed out loud for the first time. So that was like, that was one of the most amazing and terrifying experiences of my life. And the reason it was amazing was obviously because, well, she was laughing out loud for the first time, which was truly epic. I'm I'm like, that's "That's so cool. She's got all this potential. She's going to do all these things. It was terrifying, Cameron, because in that moment, I realized this girl has all this potential. I started thinking she's going to walk. She's going to talk. She's going to play soccer. She's going to do all these things. And then I had to look in the mirror and say, well, what happened to my potential? What am I doing? I'm living a life. And here I am with the two most important people in my life, my wife and my daughter. And yet I was commuting a hundred miles one way to my job. Wow. Four days a week. I'd be leaving at five, five 30 in the morning, getting home at night. And she's just getting down for bed. And I'm like, this wow. is no way to live. And it was fascinating because I think this actually happens to a lot of people. I had gotten really good 
at something I really didn't like. Wow. I was a senior project manager for a commercial construction company in the Bay Area in California. And uh, I had promoted, I had moved up through the ranks, but I did not love the work that I was doing. It was not engaging at all. Um, and I was actually starting to disengage in that role. And at the, it's, so I came back from that trip and I knew something had to change. I, I was teaching at a local college in the Sacramento region at that time, just one class, just basics of business to just introductory college students. You know, and I, I really have come to believe in divine timing more, more and more. But what, what happened, I came back from that trip, Cameron, and uh, the college told me, look, we have a lot more classes you could teach. We've had some transitions. You can come on board as a full-time instructor and we'll pay you about 40% of what you're currently <laughs> making. And crazy old me said, yes, I'll do it. And I cut a deal wow. to stay on with the project management gig to transition out of that, help hire my replacement. We were going through a software rollout and I knew that I wanted to do something different than what I was doing. And before I knew it, um, within two months of that period, uh, a, a mutual friend of my business partner and, and myself actually said, you two should sit down and have coffee together. Mm -hmm. I think you're similar enough and yet different enough where you can be aligned because he was thinking of 34 strong. He had gone through uh, the Gallup certification process to become a Gallup certified strengths coach. And we sat down, we had coffee and the rest is history. That was back in uh, 2013. Okay. So when you were so actively disengaged at work and, and kind of doing that crazy long commute, it's hard for me to picture you as disengaged. You're like one of the most engaged and um, energetic and positive. And I mean, I've only been in Barbados this trip for three days and I saw you at the gym two days in a row. And I mean, you weren't at the gym, you were destroying the gym. Like you crushed that place. Were you disengaged in your personal life as well? Or were you just, or were you living a good personal life but disengaged at work? I think I was unintentionally disengaged in my personal life. And I think what happened in that moment, that's such a profound question and nobody's ever asked me that. So I, I wonder if the work was starting to bleed in and hurt you personally as well, or. I think if my daughter, if I didn't have that moment with my daughter, that's exactly the path that I was yeah. headed on, which is why it was so terrifying for yeah. me because I looked at the path that I was on and, you know, when you do, it's, it's kind of like if you're off, if, if an airplane's off course by like a degree, right. Yeah. It's taken off from New York, heading to San Francisco and it's one degree off to the South over the course of the first 60 miles. It's, it's barely noticeable, <laughs> but if you travel the whole distance, yeah. exactly. You're like 500 miles off course or something yeah. like that over that distance. And that's massive, but on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah, you don't, you don't realize it. it. You don't realize the tax that you're actually paying is your family's paying that tax. That's kind of what I was wondering. And that's what was going on. I didn't, I don't think I realized it at the time. I was wondering if your daughter's laugh, if you were like, wow, she's happy. And why am I not happy? Like, I wonder if that kind of was the wake up call. I think it was the fact that I've, I've, grown over the years. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty resilient person, which is cool. But I think sometimes you can put on this cloak of re resiliency, which sometimes is a bunch of bullshit mm -hmm. because we, we just put it on and say, just rise up, just deal with it. And then we actually don't deal with it. <laughs> so I was becoming, I, I, I would, I'd grown into a place in the construction world 
Um, I would say all of us would describe it as you would just armor up. You just go into the day because you knew that in the way that the dynamics were in that respective, in that respective space, it was in commercial construction. There was always this delicate balance between architect, general contractor, and then the client and Mm -hmm. who's actually responsible because nobody wanted to get stuck with the cost of the mistakes. You were constantly playing the game of, CYA, cover your ass, right? And that just got exhausting. And, uh, and I think how many years were you there? So in that company, I was there for about five years. My total time in construction before starting 34 Strong was about 10 years. I was in residential for about half that time and then in commercial. And, I, and, and they were very different experiences. So what do you think you pulled from those experiences that you still use today? What were the skills that you started to develop back there? As much as you may have hated the job or were dying inside, what do you, where do you think you grew and what did you pull from those? I think I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for those experiences. And let me say that in the world of the two elements of construction I had, the residential side and the commercial side, I had some of the absolute best teams that I've ever worked on in my life where I saw how things come together and how you're able to get, get things done over the long haul when when you're on a community and you're building out a project of of homes that was in tract housing that I had started in fresh out of college. But when we got that working and people were listening and respecting each other, it was like clockwork. We had targets and we were just blown past them because our team was so aligned. On the flip side, I was able to see exactly the kinds of leaders that kind of leader that I never wanted to be and create the emotional connection so when, when we talk about leadership and people growing into managers, sometimes people, as you know, you've got your invest in your leaders course, right? And there's some people that get into leadership roles reluctantly, yeah. but they don't think sometimes necessarily of the toll, the power that a manager has over another person's life and the emotional baggage that it carries. I remember as a 23-year-old, you know, a year out of college, going into a job at a, on the residential side, I was on a team that was amazing. And then I got transferred to another team and my boss on the second team within, within the the, the company, he was such a hard nose and so challenging to deal with. And he just made everybody just felt like crap. I remember Cameron, I was healthy. I'd come home and I'd be leaving the job site, driving away in my truck and thinking, God, just miserable because I had to leave and knew I had to come back. And three days a week in the, in the middle of the night, didn't, didn't drink much, didn't do drugs. I'd wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I'd throw up. Wow. Middle of the night. Brutal. And that was, that went on for about four or five months. I never had any gastro issues or anything and never have since. And that was happening. So that toll and those physical elements of what that felt like and that awakening that happened many years later, about seven years later, actually more than that, probably about eight, nine years later with my daughter, I don't look at those rough experiences as something that I'm upset about. I'm thankful because it's made it very clear mm-hmm. in the work that we're doing, what we're transitioning. And when we can see a manager starts to shift, the ripple that that has to a parent going home, being a better mom, a better dad, a better student in their community. That's, that's, awesome. that's why I do the work that I do. And that's why my business partner, Brandon Miller, and I, that's why we started 34 Strong. It wasn't just for the cultural transformations. It was for 
the ripple effect for the next generation. You know, I don't think I've even had any of our guests on the Second Command podcast talk about the ripple effects that the business world has on people's personal relationships and lives. I've talked about really caring about people and, and then they'll care more at work. But I've never heard people talk about how the business can send those negative or positive ripples back into the workplace. Do you teach your, your leaders and employees about that? Like, do you talk about that? Or is that something that's more internal for you? Oh, no, this, this is at the core of what we actually explain. I think Gallup has found, Cameron, that at least 70% of an employee's engagement in their work is tied directly to their manager. Mm-hmm. So who you put in your manager roles, your productivity, your profitability is going to ride, ride or die by that. And by default, that engagement is going to ripple into how they show up at home. And when they're able to go home and be better versions of themselves at home, and they're more engaged in their family or their community with their loved ones, guess what they bring back into the office? Right. It comes right back. So there is... Gallup has a lot more of the data and some of some of the statistics on that, but there is basically a loop effect between workplace engagement and overall happiness and well-being in life. Wow. And um, it's it's massive. And and when we're in a state where we're feeling a level of engagement and happiness, it's not that it's not a function of hey, people are going to love their job every day. I want to be very clear on that. Like we step into some really treacherous situations, and it's called work for a reason. Sometimes yeah. it's, sometimes it's rough. But when the teams are aligned, you have the confidence that you can pull through and we have to invest in our wellness and and happiness. And they are correlated. It It, matters. And you have that power over people and it ripples over into their health. There there was some study years ago that was done about heart attacks on Monday mornings. Like people are more likely to have the heart attack on a Monday morning because of the Sunday night scaries that they have. They start, you can measure people on a biological level and, and, and their chemistry, and you start seeing everything starting to shift on Sunday for the wave going into Monday, and people are more likely to have a heart attack. Like the, there's, there's a heart That's attack crazy. spike, and it ties in right to that. So I, I, my ex-wife and I were talking about this around probably 17 years ago. I was probably four or five years into wanting to undergo junk, and I think it was a Monday morning and I was super excited getting ready to work. And she was like, wow, you're so lucky you love what you do. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, most people don't like their jobs. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, it didn't even make sense to me because I've been so happy in my career for so long. And she, she talked about three or four of our friends who actually hated their careers. And I realized that, yeah, I never heard them talking about it. I didn't realize that how, how hard it is for people on that. I guess I've just been super fortunate, but so the work that you're doing on building these, these cultures, these company cultures, and we're going to talk about this, about 34 Strong is critical, but I want, I want to go back and, and ask one more of your learning questions, and then we'll, we'll talk more about what you're doing at 34 Strong. What lessons did you pull from the, the college teaching side of things or when you were teaching, even though it was only for a few months, was there anything you, you gleaned from that experience? Because that's fairly rare. Well, I actually did that for more than a few months. That was actually, I was actually doing that. It, it was a crazy period in life, Cameron. So in 2013, we started 34 Strong. I was doing the college teaching gig. And for that whole year, I was still working about 15 hours a week the with the construction company, company and then moonlighting to try and figure out how to build 34 Strong. So 34 Strong, the concept was there in 2013. And we formally really launched in late 2013, 2014. But teaching, I taught for about four years 
Mm. It was, it was personally so rewarding mm-hmm. because it was interesting. Some of the, some of the components that we were building in 34 strong, I was able to actually work with students and test it out in that place. One of the things that was really powerful for me was we actually had a lot of vets that were coming out of the military that were going to uh, the school and that were going through the struggle of transitioning into civilian life. And one of the hugely rewarding things for me on a personal level was getting to a place with all students, but particularly with the vets coming out of different branches of the US military. Some were, had just been, you know, foot soldier, ground soldier. Some of them were coming out of special forces, but getting to a place with many of them where they actually felt like I can talk to you. And that was, and they, many of them after one quarter or two quarters said, I haven't, I've been really struggling with this. So the fact that I feel like I can talk to you, you'll listen and you'll open up some perspective on how to use my relevant experience and strengths that I had maybe when I was in war, when I was on the battlefield and how to actually apply that in a civilian manner and just hitting those switches and show them there are parallels here. You're, you're not completely alone wow. and, and letting them know I never served a day in uniform. I, I, I never served a day in uniform, um, but I'm willing to listen and going through it. And that, that was like, that told me that I was on, on the, the right path with, for me personally, with the work that we were doing with 34 strong, because that, that hit home. And from a culture standpoint, um, it, it was healed college at the time. And they had been um, one of the best workplaces in America on right. in Fortune for multiple years in a row. Uh, I'd been around since 1861. So, so I experienced that. I saw what a super high performing team was. My, my colleague um, in the business department, um, never, never forget working with her, Robin Arthur absolutely amazing person. She was like my work wife, right? So we, we, we would call ourselves work spouses, but we had each other's back mm. through course development, course design, different, different shifts. So I experienced so much there that rippled into what organizations could be. And like you, you're like, Monday's coming. I'm excited to go to work. I realized that was the model for me at the same time I was in the construction yeah, company. So this juxtaposition like, of totally. seeing this is what a work can be like. Cause I was doing that part-time sure. while I was in the doldrums with construction. Many people there. And I was like, I, I could either do something about that and have the chutzpah to go out on my own and, and take a jump into that. Or I could sit on the sidelines and I said, and my business partner and I met and he was, he was built very similarly, had this vision. We sat down and we really connected on that side. That's super cool. Yeah. All right. I've got a question on, on working with vets. And this is, um, I'll give a, um, a basis for my question. So you said you've never served a day in, in uniform. I'm Canadian. We don't, we don't generally know people who have served in, yeah. in the military. Mm-hmm. There's about one-tenth per capita um, in Canada or in the military versus the U.S. And then we have one-tenth the population. So it's about mm-hmm. one in a hundred less people that we would know. So I actually don't even know anyone in Canada who's ever been in the military, which is really weird. Yeah. So we don't have the experience of, in Canada at least, of having vets to come and work for us because just like nobody's in the military. We're kind of like the Swiss. It's really yeah. weird. So 
but there's a huge need for this in the U.S. with so many vets coming out. How do you bring a vet successfully into an entrepreneurial organization or into a company? How do you onboard them in a way that you you get the best out of them, you honor them, you respect them? Maybe not honoring so much as like, hey, you're a you're a vet, we're proud of a war, but how do you honor them as a human and what their needs are, what their differences are? Is there any thoughts around that? You know, I can only speak from my experience in the classroom, and I also have done work over the past several years with the Honor Foundation. Um, They're based in San Diego, and they have multiple campuses all across the U.S., and they're expanding internationally. And the Honor Foundation, just to give a little bit of context on what they they are, who they are, they have served predominantly the, the soft community, so that's the Special Operations Forces. The bulk of their their cohorts thus far, Cameron, have been um, Navy SEALs and the support groups for the Navy SEALs. And they have these cohorts that go through and they help them to transition into civilian life. I've worked with, not directly with those groups, but with the organization itself to help align their culture through scale. And it's a group of many active, I mean, there are many vets. Let's just put it this way. When I've been there with the 20 people, never have I felt so safe in my life when right. I was a facilitator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. like, I'm here and you're just with some amazing human beings. What I think is really important is to remove the lens of what is seen on TV. We see people You see these movies of, oh, this person's a, a, they're a warrior, they're a soldier, they've they've gone through. And it it removes the human elements Mm -hmm. of who they are, what they are, and going through. A a dear friend of mine, a gentleman who was at the Honor Foundation, Joe Lara, who who really helped to to grow their community, and and Matt Stevens, who is the CEO over there, um, conversations that I've had with them individually and then collectively across the board is, hey, just remember we're human too. Mm. We have these tight bonds and these tight teams. And when somebody gets injured and somebody dies on the battlefield and we still have to go and fight and battle, we hurt, we cry, and we feel it just like everybody else. But when you see what happens on TV, that gets removed. It does. So when they step back in, when, when there's this step, from what I've heard from them coming back in, that's that's what a struggle can be sometimes. Like, how do I take my applicable skills of what I have here and translate that and going for it? On the most human of levels, let's not forget that these are humans that have seen things that many of us can't even imagine imagine seeing. Yeah. If that makes any totally, sense. Totally. All right. So, so you and your partner were starting off building 34 strong and, and he took the CEO role. You took the COO role. How did you decide on, on what parts of the business to run? How did you guys divide and conquer on that? It's fascinating. And I think this was a tell of our partnership earlier along. There was literally no debate about it. It was just as we were mapping and envisioning the company, both of us actually came to the same conclusion. I had had years of project management experience, systematizing, growing out, scaling for companies from over a decade in construction and directing a purchasing department. It was very much creating the systems at scale. He had been more of a solopreneur, excited visionary going through PASIS, hadn't necessarily gone through the process of scaling um, uh, an organization and going through, but 
brilliant ideas mm-hmm. and in going through and a complete energizer bunny. I mean, he brings so much energy to the table with an idea just by talking um, and hearing him speak. You might've thought you should have done something back in 1982. <laughs> and he's just literally verbally processing an idea out. And I can bring that sometimes, but his level of doing that was so powerful. So when we actually looked at how we showed up and interacted, we, we realized that was a better title for him. And for years when we were, when we, it was just the, the two of us and a, and a handful of support staff for our, our early years, we often operated like co-CEOs. Um, as we've grown and scaled, that's one of the things that I feel like has been important. And that's why when uh, the CEO Alliance is that's been growing and I've, I've always followed your work for, for years um, and going through. But when I saw that coming up, I said, I really need to put on my big boy pants now what the, what, where the company is growing towards. And we're in a season right now of really defining this is what a successful CEO role looks like. Yeah. This is what a successful COO role looks like. And, and that's how we decided that. And just keep this in mind too, Cameron, we were doing a lot in the earlier years of the delivery, the design, sure. the build of content and going through. So there's been this journey of letting go of some of the facilitation side that we've done, some of the coaching side. I mean, you're a master facilitator, coach, and, and all of those pieces. But when you're in the business chair yeah. and you're operating, can't be. you can't be in that space, but that's that had been in the past, some of the, we, we were the primary economic drivers of the company. All right. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the growth that you're getting from the CEO Alliance and what you've done in your own stuff. But I want to go into um, what the beliefs are at 34 Strong about what makes a great company culture. And then second, yeah, I'll just ask that for now. I have a follow-on question that I don't want to lead you with yet. So just tell me what, what do you believe makes a really strong company culture? I think a big part of it starts at the top within alignment because oftentimes we'll hear the lip service and you'll see it where you want it rippling throughout the organization. But the leaders seem to have their own set of operating principles, their own set of rules. So the way that if if a company wants to see culture that is strengths-based, where we're focusing on what's right with people, seeing a culture where employees are engaged, on Sundays, they're not generating, you know, um, their heart rate's not going up. They're not um, feeling uncomfortable about coming to work. They're not miserable about leaving work because they have to come back. But, and, and when they're at the dinner table and they're asked, how was your day at work? They're not miserable about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or they're not at the dinner table and their son or their daughter or their wife her husband does something and it triggers them because of an action that they'd experience right. at work. Yeah. A lot of times the response that we get on that side, that's not what we want. So we're clear on what we don't want. So what do we want? We want people to, when they're asked those questions, they're smiling when they're going home. They're, they're not just making a living. They're making a difference. They're mm-hmm. aligned with the fact that their organization and their role might ripples into something greater than themselves. So what does this look like from a cultural standpoint? When the leaders are aligned, we feel like they're modeling what they want to have in the culture. They're messaging it and they're mirroring 
it back. And when they're modeling it, they're modeling exactly what the behaviors look like. We follow Lencioni's model of the ideal team player. I think you're, mm-hmm. you're familiar with that. Ideal team players are humble, hungry, and smart, right? And he breaks down what those actually mean. We try to model that as leaders individually and then collectively within the team. So if somebody is overreaching on the hunger side, or, or if we're as a leadership team moving into a place, are we being a little too hungry and we're going to run the ship aground, we can check each other on that and have healthy conflict. It's because healthy mm-hmm. organizations and healthy culture is not the absence of conflict. In fact, conflict makes us stronger, right? yeah. it makes us healthier, but we've got to model that. We've got to message it. And I think not only in our own organizations, but the ones that have successfully transitioned where they're sustaining it, our, 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 our success rates and our case studies that are written on, on our websites are actually companies that are no longer working with us because they're standing up on their own, on their which own. is what we always want them to do. And they've written about us and they've gone through because they've it's, it hasn't been we're doing 34 strong. We've created a strengths-based organization. We've created an engaged organization that's come from within. But the messaging, this is the part that gets exhausting. I think it's important because, and I've heard this a lot in COO Alliance and when I've hung out with a lot of different leaders across the board, I've told them that already. I've told them what our vision is. I've told them these elements and we've got to be a repetition officer, right? Mm -hmm, Like we have mm -hmm. to keep repeating that because our teams that we lead might be aware that's the vision or being an ideal team player, that's our vision, but we're not messaging it frequently enough. And it's like going to the gym, right? If you go to the gym on the 2nd of January and you do nine hours of bicep curls, you're going to be sore as hell the next day. But if you're like, and then I don't have to work out for the rest of the year, that's not going to lead to any results. It's the repetition of those pieces. And when I talk about mirroring it, we're mirroring it back. What that means is if I'm working for you, Cameron, and you catch me doing something right, modeling the behavior of, for instance, what we'd want to see an ideal team player, making a decision, being empowered, you're going to mirror that back to me. You're going to show me that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. You're going to catch people doing the things right. And when those three are flowing, that's where we start creating the cultures of more of, of what we like to see. And I think Oprah Winfrey, the last thing I'll, I'll say, I think she once said, the more wins that you celebrate, the more wins you have to celebrate. And it's catching people doing those things right. But it starts with how we follow it. That's, I love that. I love that whole, um, <laughs> what would say it again, the Oprah quote, but the uh, more that you're, the, celebrating the more, the more wins celebrate. that you celebrate, the more, wins, the more you wins you will have to celebrate. That's great. I love that. All right. So this is a strange question and it comes to me because I was recently on an episode of a podcast that's coming out quite soon called a little bit culty. And I was interviewed on when company culture goes too far and becomes more of a cult. And you might've actually just touched on a little bit when the, when the company's pushing too hard or when we're going too fast or going to, when do you think culture goes too far or how do companies misuse it? Um, maybe even not intentionally. That's, a, that's, that's a, a weird question. That's a good, that's a good question. I think the part about culture that's fascinating, whether you want it and whether you focus on it intentionally or not, you're going to have it. So you're either going to get it by intention or design, or you're going to get it by accident. So choose wisely. Like I think there's a, there's a notion that 
we've been in rooms and in, in, in Vistage and, and, and with rooms of CEOs like, ah, I don't have time to focus on culture. You've heard that sure. story as well. I don't, I, I don't, I don't really have, have a culture. I don't really have That's a culture. culture. That's your culture. Yeah. And that, that, that shows up. So you're, you're going to get some of those elements um, either by intention and design where you have the control, you're making the investments or it's going to show up and it's going to take on a role that maybe you don't want to have. So Make sure you're carving that path. Where it can get, I think, too culty, um, sometimes I've seen this, where the culture, it seems like we can focus on that above just some of the basic capacity of what the business is actually doing. And mm. we, I think there has to be an alignment with what the business needs and the overall organizational objective. If not, you can go down the path of you're creating this great culture. That's actually, you got to ask the question periodically, is this in alignment with our external brand? Mm -hmm. So we can think of culture through this lens from a branding perspective. I think this is the best way I can articulate this. You've got, you've got your external brand, which is, what your customers and the public sees, and then you have your internal brand, which is your culture, your, your company experience. Those two brands have to actually be in alignment. If those two brands are out of alignment and you're saying one thing to your, to, to your um, customers, but you're out of alignment with what's going on here, or you're so focused on the in, internal culture and, and you've created the cultiness of what's going on, but that's not actually in alignment with your external facing brand, mm. that will create some serious ripples because your internal culture, we said, well, why are we doing this why here? Sure. Why are we doing this here? Should we be doing that? And that can be good if you're allowing those conversations to take place because those two should be checking and balancing each other. And uh, the, the, the analogy I, I, I like to use, I, I think there's a, a healthy amount of tension that can exist between those two brands. So think of the Golden Gate Bridge. You, you've been across there yep. in California. We've all seen it. Cameron, it stands because the cables are tightly pulled to both sides. Yeah. And that gives it its strength. It's not because the cables are hanging slack. The cable's pulling in different directions. And that gives rise to the brilliance and the strength of the bridge. And if we think of our brand, those both of those brands that we have to manage, that they're the bridge that we have to stand up. But there's the, you know, there's the north side and the south side of the bridge that we have to have to stand up. There's going to feel like there's times that there's tension through the questions that we're asking, and it's actually completely needed. So Mm -hmm. instead of being conflict averse or thinking of it, that that's actual conflict, it's not conflict. It's making sure that we're actually evaluating, are these in alignment or are we getting too deep in the culture or are we forsaking the culture of who we are at our core and the values for just chasing after money? That's actually terrible business to go after because that's the, that's where I think that crossroads actually is. Okay, so I want to ask you some more questions about the work that, that 34 Strong does with clients, but I want to talk to you for a second about some of the work that you've done on yourself. So you mentioned you joined the CO Alliance because you wanted to kind of put on your big boy pants and I guess grow. What was it that you were looking for in terms of your own growth? Were, were you cognizant of what it was or was it just get into a community to see what's there, what I can learn? What were you looking for? I have been... And just, you know, an entrepreneur. So I feel like it's interesting when I'm hanging out with COOs, sometimes I feel like the odd duck, which sure. you, you've talked about yep. as well, because we're more energetic. We're both founders. Yeah. 
of companies and that's and COOs that aren't necessarily founders are going through, it's a totally different vibe. Yeah. And I, you know, I've, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, I've been in the sales chair, I've been in the marketing chair, I still do a lot of deal negotiation. I love that stuff, right? Um, I wanted to really dig in as 34 Strong is growing and scaling and, 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 and has expanded our company to really dig into what are all the things that maybe haven't hit my radar. Sure. So I'm not playing catch up. Yeah. We tripled the size of the company from 2020 through 2021. And we did it. And I will confess here, as I've done many times before, we did not have the systems in place. Mm. We did not, our team was able to rise and we stitched it together with bubble gum and glue sticks and all of the things. And the systems have come a far way. My goal, I think, in joining is starting to awaken what's the stuff right. that maybe right. I'm not even thinking about. Because, sure. you know, the, there, there's a saying, win stands for what's important now. And that's really critical. And what's important right now is getting the team to a point where they can handle the, the catch-up process. I have to you be to in the look ahead. Yeah. So I'm doing the control burns. Like I used to use that analogy. I mean, you were asking for lessons. One of your earlier questions from my project management days, that's what my role was as a project manager. Find out everything that could burn down out ahead. And if I had to create a path and there, and there was stuff that was in the way, do the control burns so we could keep the, the project moving. That's the role that I haven't been able to do. And that's just from, I don't know what I don't know. So that's I want right. to hang out with companies, with, with COOs that are further up market than me that can help pull along and get me asking better questions and get us as a company asking questions that maybe we haven't been considering. And that's definitely been happening. All right. Now, I don't remember if you mentioned the word vulnerable or if I did, but where do you think it has served you as a leader to be vulnerable at work and where has it hurt you or has it hurt you? In my business, being vulnerable was always something we were taught not to do. Mm. So in the construction industry, it was thought that you can't show your hand, you can't do this. And it created a lot more tension and stress unneeded. And the reason I know that is because I had three clients that I can remember vividly where we actually spoke openly they were our most productive jobs in terms of the pace that we worked at, the teams, the way that they were built. The, they opened faster, which meant that the client was opening those stores quicker. They were more profitable for them and they were more profitable for us. And those were the, those were three clients I specifically remember. But within mm. the industry, yeah. they were unicorns. Right. They were complete unicorns in the way that we built those teams. But the rinse and repeat of that, that showed me that's how I want to be. Yeah. But I couldn't be that because of the environment. It's, it's kind of like if you're yeah. a cactus trying to grow in the middle of uh, the, 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 the tropics here, where we're at, it's not going to necessarily grow. Your Arizona cactus isn't going to grow effectively here in Barbados, right? The way that it has served incredibly well through my journey within 34 Strong has been there's a level of trust, which when we think of when people are going to follow you, they need trust. They need compassion, right? And they want to know that 
you can connect with them on a human level. So being able to be vulnerable and saying, like I've, we've acknowledged to our team, like we tripled in size and we are still playing catch up right now because of, of where we're at and the, and the challenges that that put on that I felt personally and being able to talk through that, all it's done with direct reports and within our company is it's opened up the floor of trust. Cameron, one of the stories that I, I'll share, I'll never forget this day was in March, uh, right around this time in 2020, when we made the decision that the best thing to do for the company at the time because of COVID was to furlough every single employee to get them to the front of the line in the U.S. for unemployment because we knew the wave was coming. Hardest day in business, period. I told that story at a retreat that we had this last summer and how difficult that day was for me. And I've told that story, you know, dozens of times. But looking at the size of the company, because we've grown so much from the small team that we were then, I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing it. I got choked up and, and went through and I didn't expect that. It was like, I was totally overcome with mm-hmm. emotion, but the thank yous and the, accol- the accolades that that led to is like, thank wow. you. Because people were able to see Why how impassioned we were with this as, as leaders um, and kind of going through and, and that it's real. And, and the final more recent incident that I'll share with you is one day, I, I completely overdid it on Zoom. I was on one of those days where it was like nine hours. You barely had time to get up and pee and get water. And it was meeting after meeting. It wasn't calls. They were like video meetings. Sure. And the next day I had a really um, hot day. I, I was facilitating uh, for an executive leadership team where it wasn't just something that I could, I could go through. Like I needed to be very present and thinking. And my brain was just shot next morning. I knew it. And I had to throw in the towel and say, I got to pull the plug. Thankfully it was a small enough team that I've worked with and said, I got to reschedule this because you're going to be getting a really crappy version of me. But I use it as a learning lesson for the team. And it created a level of awareness within our team to check yourself. Cause we talk about that. This is where the messaging, when yeah, I talk about yeah. messaging, modeling, varying, we message, take the break, go out, take the walk didn't if you need to, but didn't model it. And I acknowledge, I totally screwed up in modeling that. Cause you're going to see my calendar and say, well, that's what Darren's going to expect of me. Right. And then yeah. I totally crashed into a brick wall and it was a terrible idea. And it's led to pacing in my life. And it's actually when I'm having those conversations with people, they're hearing it from the lens of, okay, this is a guy who's trying to model it and how he's living, how he's going through. And he messaged it because he totally said he ate shit for a period of time. And it was costly. It was a bad business decision for us as well. I love this. All right. I want you to go back to the 21, 22 year old Darren. You're just starting out in your career. What advice do you, do you wish you knew back then that you know to be true today? Take the time to sit with yourself and dig into what are your core drivers? What are your core values? What is the script that you're following? Is it your script or is it somebody else's script? The 21, 22 year old script of, of me went through college. I was a box checker, Cameron. That's, that's what I was. And there's a lot of box checkers mm-hmm. in this world. And it gets you to a Solid life for other people to look in on. Yeah. I was one of those people. I had checked the boxes. I went to school. I got a good job. I was getting a, a, a good solid income. I was climbing the corporate ladder. 
I went on, got my MBA, did all those things. But whose script was I following? Hmm. I had never really thought that I had the power to write my own script. Remembering that we are actually holding the pen to write that script and that we have the power to write that script, I think is really important. And I think Jim Carrey said this, but something along the lines of if you're going to, if I can screw up, you know, doing something I dislike, why not screw up do some, doing something that I love? And I think it's really powerful if I was talking to my 21, 22 year old self to be willing to do the work and to get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's where the growth zone is going to be, not only for myself personally, but in relationships, because it's oftentimes in those periods, not creating conflict for the sake of creating conflict and fighting, but working through those, sitting through those and asking, what are the gifts that are coming here? Final piece, when it feels like the world's shitting on you, ask, why is this happening for me? And keep asking it because Mm -hmm. in the moment, it sucks sucks. and you don't have the answer. Keep asking that question because it always reveals itself in time. That's awesome. Darren Grossami, the COO and co-founder of 34 Strong. Thanks for sharing with us on the Second Command podcast. Really appreciate the time. Cameron, thanks for flying all the way to Barbados <laughs> just so we could do this together in person. I really appreciate being here. Of course, you're welcome. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.